The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Blooming in the Light with your host, Marie Helen Terang. Are you one of the many people who face challenges every day in your life and find it can be more than a struggle at times? Our program will show you that these challenges can be turned into gems based on wisdom and experience that you'll hear today. Now, here is Marie Helen Turan. Welcome. Welcome to Blooming in the Light. We are going today to explore a very vast field and uh, see if we can see it from a different angle. So I'm very excited to have you with us, and um, I hope that you enjoy um, what we're going to do. It's very interesting. It's all about art, and we all have the artist within us. You're listening to Blooming in the Light. I am your host, Marie-Helen Turen. You can like my Colemni Facebook page. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Or you can email me your questions or comments at colemni at gmail.com. Colemni is spelled K-O-L-A-I-M-N-I. So like I said, today we're going to be exploring art. There is always an artist within us. Sometimes we haven't quite gotten in touch with that artist, but we can feel its presence and we can feel... Um, the magic of it. So we are going to look into this. We are going to have a guest today. Uh, his name is uh, Greg Thatcher. He is an artist, of course, and uh, he does wonderful, wonderful things, and you'll be able to uh, appreciate his approach of art. Uh, Greg, besides being a great artist, is a very good friend and he was uh, teaching at the same school I was teaching. So he was at the same time a colleague, and he was also my children's uh, art teacher. So we have a very wonderful connection, and it is a great, great, great pleasure to welcome Greg with us today. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much, Marie Helen. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I really appreciate that you're going to do that with me today because I'm going to have fun. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Like you know, I do like to have fun. So one thing that um, the one of the reason, the major, you know, main reason why I chose to do something on art is that art is something that has always made me. It's it's just the awe that comes with it. Mm. Uh, when you think about it, you know, it is quite logical that for survival. We have created tools that help us survive, you know, that you want to plant something, the, the dirt is hard, you're going to create a shovel so that you can put the seed in the ground and uh, you can get food. So that's a very basic level of survival. And it is quite logical that we would be creative for that kind of thing. But when we start thinking about the things, the extent 
to which mankind has gone to create beauty. Just for what? Not for survival, just for the sheer joy of it. It is something that has always made me wonder in the sense of it has it creates awe in me. Um, when I think of music instruments, organs, church organs, I mean, what, you know, the force that is creating that desire and pushing that creativity to make such complex instruments just for happiness. What makes us want to express that? What, there's something of a miracle there. For me, at least, that's what it is. And so um, I value art very much. Now, I am a weaver, and um, weaving is something that involves, of course, a lot of the senses. It involves touch, of course. You know, it's texture. It involves sight, because the volumes, volumes are really important. When I, when I weave something and I prepare a pattern, I start on, on you know, paper and the proportions, the way I like to do it, what comes out, very important. It involves smell, because when you weave wool, it doesn't smell the same as if you're going to weave flax, for example. And the loom, it involves touch also. The loom is wood. It involves sound. Loom is loud. So um, that uh, creative process that, that I've experienced as a weaver is something that has always let me wonder. It is, you know, what makes it so powerful? What creates that urge when the creative juices are running, when they're flowing, they're just not, nothing that can hold you back. The only thing that can free you from it is to do it. Otherwise, it's just intoxicating. And so it is a field of life that is just full of life, full of joy. And it has always mesmerized me. I think it's just a, a, fabulous, a fabulous thing. So I wanted to um, do something about art during this show uh, to dive into these processes and to see the vital force that is there and why it is so important, why it is so important that everybody cultivates that within themselves. You know, the title of this show is Blooming in the Light. Well, blooming is a word that involves action. It's not a static thing. It involves action. There's an opening. And the subtitle is nurturing the seed of the self. So we look at what we can do when we nurture. There's an intention there. And I think that art really fits the bill. So before we go on more, I would like to, um, like I said, to introduce uh, Greg Thatcher. But the best way to do it is to have him do it himself, because like that, I know he won't forget anything, which I might. So, Greg, would you tell us who you are besides being my friend, and what is your background? Um, so, I obviously am an artist, and my background, um, basically, uh, I'm part Native American. And for me, that's something that's very, very important because it's a connection that American Indians people have 
and anybody who has any of that blood that runs through you through their veins, there's a very strong, undeniable, powerful link to nature. And you know from if you've read any quotes or anything by various um, Indians that there's the sky, the clouds, the water. Um, all of these things aren't separate. They're considered to be part of themselves. They're like their brother or their sister. So they have a, you know, it's important that just to understand that, but also to there's a situation that comes up where they are, we are visitors here. We don't own the land. We don't control the land. We're visitors. And so being a visitor, then there's a responsibility to take care of that, to honor it, to nourish it in your words that you used before, which I think is very appropriate. So having that running around in your veins, there's that deep connection. And I've always been fascinated from being a little boy of lying on my back and watching the clouds go by and just feeling that, that, sort, of, that sort of connection that one has there. So, you know, I actually started as an artist because of my mother. And I went to visit her, and she put up a canvas, and she said, you should paint. And I thought, nah, come on. You know, I don't know how to paint. You know, I can't do this. I started painting, and that was it. My life changed at that moment. And it changed because I started feeling like this is something that I have a language here. I have a way to express. Because it's important for, for artists not only to have an experience, but having an experience isn't enough. They have to do something with it. You have to manipulate it. You have to be able to express it. It's not enough to just have it and then say, oh, well, I had this experience. That's not enough. It has to be more. One has to really delve into it. One has to understand it on a very, very deep level and be able to work the materials to come up with something that matches what the artist's internal feeling was with that object or with that experience. So that's kind of the background. The other thing is is that I love things that are, are beautiful. Um, and I guess I should back up and say that I actually did go to college. <laughs> I have a bachelor's degree from the University, <laughs> University of Victoria and, and Vancouver Island in Canada. And then I have a master's degree from the University of Saskatchewan. And then after I finished both of those programs, then I came here. During those times, I would still continue to do work with, uh, with the landscape. And so that's kind of my background. That's the way I, that's the thing that I feel the most comfortable with. So, you know, um, but coming and starting to teach was a very interesting situation because then you really have to um, be able to explain to other people to train them. And so that has been a very important thing, I think, in my life because it's made it so that every, all the experiences I have, all the knowledge that I have, all the techniques that I have, all of those things that I have, you have to make it simple so that other people can understand. And that's been extremely helpful and it's been very, very important, I think, in my career. Um, from we're very there, good at it, actually. Well, 
Uh, you yeah. are very good at it. It's just that my children are not in your class anymore because they are adults now. But I think you just um, you just said something very important. You just used one word that, for me, uh, defines art, actually. It's the word language. Uh, to teach children or to teach anybody to use a language, a different language in which they can express what they feel inside that can be seen by anybody else who does not speak the same language, yeah. the same yeah. verbal language, mm. but something, somebody, something that somebody can recognize yeah. beyond words, just the emotion, the, that universality of communication is very important. It's the same importance as the, word, the, the world of symbols. People will see a symbol and whatever their culture is, it will bring some truth, some deeper element uh, out and some kind of universal communication that as a world people, we need more than ever. So when we come back, we're going to go deeper into this and into all the things that art can bring us. But right now, we're going to go on a short break. Time to get a glass of water, stretch a little bit, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Marie Helen Turin wrote a French country cookbook with her son, Matthew, Petit Paris at Home. This book has interesting food facts, often related to history, and is beautifully illustrated with drawings and color pictures. From their restaurant to your table, these are simple, affordable, and fabulously delicious French recipes. Visit Marie Helen Shop on Etsy at Marie Helen Creations for the Cookbook and other fantastic items. Just search the header for cookbooks. Kalemni is an ancient, proven technique of energy healing. Kalemni uses the universal light to stimulate the healing mechanisms of the body. It's very gentle and yet powerful, and it can easily be learned and successfully practiced by anyone. You too can learn Kalemni and help yourself and your loved ones to feel better. A three-day training workshop will be taught by Marie Helen Turin in Cedar Rapids, Iowa on August 26th, 27th, and 28th. For more information or to reserve your space, visit MarieHelenNow.com. Click Kalemni, then Courses. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Blooming in the Light. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to kalemni at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. And we are back. Uh, Again, you're listening to Blooming in the Light. And uh, Greg Thatcher is our um, guest today. Now, Greg, you've told us about your background and um, your connection with nature, which is really important. And I guess that's one of the reasons why you draw trees. This is really your specialty. Would you tell us about it? The drawing, drawing, I 
had an experience with um, my mother when she was passing away, and I was working on her home, and I had to do some painting and fix up and things like that. And there was a big evergreen tree that was up next to the side of the, the, you know, the facade of her home. And I had to go and paint it, and I was doing some spray painting. And all of a sudden, when I was walking up towards the tree to do some painting, I felt um, fear. And I asked myself, why am I feeling fear? You know, I'm, I'm just painting. And then I realized it wasn't me, it was a tree. And so what I did then is went up and I put my hand on the tree and I spoke to the tree so that it would understand what, what I needed to do. And I explained that I needed to cut some little parts off so that the tree wouldn't be rubbing up against the side of the facade of the building. Uh, and if I didn't do that, it would be covered in paint and it would die. And then it just the fear just went, went away. So from that point, I noticed that, you know, I somehow have the ability to be able to communicate with the tree and understand them. And so from, from that point, it's been very important for me to be able to kind of follow through that. And we were on a grant um, in England, and I had found through some literature there, there was a, a churchyard, and they had these beautiful rows of trees. And uh, it's called St. Mary's Churchyard, and it's in Painswick in Gloucestershire. And so I started doing some prints on that, and then we actually went there at the end. And it was like magic. Um, the experiences with the trees, how beautiful they were. These are some of the most lovely trees that you'll, in avenues, which are in rows, and they grow together, and you can walk underneath them, that you'll find anyway. So I was like the little boy in the in the candy shop, because this, all this beauty, all of these incredible things, but the thing that was most important that I noticed is that when I looked down the avenues of trees, and the trees are, excuse me, they go side to side, so there'd be two trees and then a walkway in between, if you can imagine that. So I'm looking down for this, and I noticed that what happened to my attention was is that it went, way, 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 way back into the back. And I said, this is transcendence. You know, this moving from something that's gross, something that's known, into something that's very subtle. And then that's like my meditation pro program that I do, transcendental meditation. So I said, okay, so the, here is a way that I can capture visually that experience and be able to kind of share it in a way with people. They can get an idea, so they, under, they can kind of understand it. So that was kind of the beginning, and that was in 1991. So since that time, it's been a growing relationship. My relationship with the trees is absolutely, completely wonderful. We go every summer, my wife and I, we go, we spend at least, at least a month there. So there's this incredible fascination. It's not an intellectual thing. You know, you get to the point where you just stop asking questions. You know, why am I going there? Why do I do this? Why do I try, travel there and spend all this money to be able... None of those things make any difference. What is important is is that there's this communication that I have, the experience that I have, and my job is to bring out the glory that these trees exhibit, that they have, and what my experience is. So these drawings take a long, long time to do, sometimes 
over a four-year period because I work plein air, so I will only work there for, you know, a month during the summer, and then I can't work on it anymore. So, you know, they have to be... They have to be done. I can't work from photographs. They have to be done there. And, you know, the richness of that experience of sitting there and drawing these trees draws me back year after year after year after year. So that's the fascination with the trees. They're, you know, absolutely wonderful. And they're, to me, they're like these beings and they have this incredible integrity. And the way I feel about them is that they, Basically, they are, um, they have seen so much in terms of history. You know, the trees are 250, 300, 400 years old, these ones, which are young for you trees. But nonetheless, they have experienced a huge amount. And they're, you know, they're very, very powerful, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful beings. This is really, uh, it's very interesting because... I personally do have a very strong relationship with trees, too. And many people, I'm sure among our listeners, everybody, many people are going, oh, yes, oh, yes, I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was a teenager, if we all remember how we were when we had teenagers, it wasn't all pink and happy. There were days where you just had to be left alone and um, on your own and just try to figure out things. And... um, I lived uh, between a beach and a forest, and I was very, very blessed with where I lived in France and Bassin d'Arcachon, fantastic place. And there was this one pine tree um, that was by the side of the sand dune, and the sand dune was eroding, of course, and so there was one root that was completely horizontal, because pine trees have horizontal roots, and that one was completely horizontal. And it was my seat. You know, each time yeah. there was a clash or anything where I needed my sacred place, I would just take off and my parents knew where to find me. They would leave me alone. They knew I was with my tree. Yeah. And then, and I was looking at the sea. And, um, and I think, you know, at the time I did not realize it. But with everything I've learned about trees ever since, I realized the tree was really absorbing my... I cannot say sorrow, but unease or, you know, whatever we want to call what we didn't like as teenagers. So um, I am completely with you, Greg. Uh, I have seen that lately uh, there has been amazing research done on trees where it has been found that they have a whole root network where they communicate with each other through a chemical language. Right. They share food. They have a whole social system, basically, where they, like they said, they communicate, they share their resources, there is a complete, it's a society. Right. And so, um, and obviously it works a little bit better than ours. Uh-huh. Um, this is a fact. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't totally understand this uh, fascination that you have. Uh, for the trees. Now, there's a little anecdote I want to tell our listeners because, you know, when you talked about your uh, Native American ancestry, uh, it, it, it brought back um, uh, a memory that I was not thinking of. Um, I don't know if you'll remember it. I have told you one time 
I was weaving a uh, meditation blanket for you. And uh, I remember remember, clearly, I I can still see it. I was, when I would work on it, I remember on the left of me, like if it was at 10 till, I mean, I can tell you exactly where it was. There was this vision of this very tall, kind of stern male. And it was an elder. It was a strong figure and a strong face. It was very interesting. And so I said, what's going on? Who is this? Who is this figure that appears when I work on your blanket? And you told me it looked like the description of your grandfather. It was quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we feel... We, we have been trained in our society to think in terms of separation, but it is a mistake. Thank God oh. there is now quantum physics that tells us that there is no such thing, and, uh, and it allows us to understand these things that we experience, like your relationship with the trees, which is my relationship with the trees, and, and you know, the many, many, many relationships that um, our listeners are, are having. I was in the Brocéliande Forest in Brittany. It's, uh, it's known to be the Merlin Forest. It was the forest of the Druids. And there is an oak tree there that is over 800 years old. And I was blessed enough to visit this tree about two months ago. And it was, it was just, I mean, there was reverence in being around a being that old that has seen, like you said, so much, absorb so much information that cannot be transmitted through words, but definitely is transmitted through feeling. Yeah. It, it, was quite, it was quite an honor, I have to say. And it works to, both ways. It works both ways. It's an honor for the tree, but it's also an honor for the person. But you just have to be quiet. And I think that's, you know, one of the experiences that I was trying to capture in my work is that this idea of transcendence, you speak about transcendence when I do a lecture. And, excuse me, people will come up to me and they'll say, you know, like you're talking about, you know, there's a tree. And when I was younger, I used to go there and I used to be by the tree. And I said, well, what did you feel? And I said, well, they just felt calm. So it was, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that calmness, it's that settledness, it's sort of taking the mind to a much deeper level that's more universal. And that's something that's extremely important. And actually, it's a holy journey, you know, moving the mind into that, into those areas. And it's just a matter of, you know, being simple and being open, and then information comes to you, you know. information yes. comes to you, and it's very important. And they, they want to, you know, they're, they want to help you. You know, just like we want to help them, they want to help us. And that's the way that the American Indians look at them, and that's the way that all people are. Their trees are holy. You know, if you go back to the Ramayana, there's certain things in the Ramayana when, you know, when they were traveling and they were trying to find, trying to find a place with, with um, Ram and Sita, and she would, before she would pass this one tree, she would, circle the tree and give reverence to the tree and then ask the tree if she could move on. And so it's, you know, it's, 
these things are there. They're just not in our awareness because our awareness is too... No, it's all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting because way back in in France, in the the Middle Ages, or even maybe prior to that, Mm -hmm. um, cutting a tree was was punished by death. Yeah. I mean, that would take care of a lot of the population nowadays if that was (laughs) happening. Um, Yeah, so it's very, very interesting. And, um, you know, that's what you said, you know, they absorb. That's why as a teenager, it was so important to me to be able to go to my tree because it was bringing that calmness inside. It was just taking care of of the turmoil. That's right. And uh, and that exchange was there. Helping you too because you were settling down. Totally, and actually that tree is gone, it's, you know, the, the sand dune has eroded, the tree is gone, but I have a postcard of it, and right. I, I keep it, it's, right. it's my, I keep, I keep that very sweet feeling inside about that tree. Now, when we're going to come back after this um, little break, we're going to talk about uh, art again. So, again, a little break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Marie Helen Turin wrote a French country cookbook with her son, Matthew, Petit Paris at Home. This book has interesting food facts, often related to history, and is beautifully illustrated with drawings and color pictures. From their restaurant to your table, these are simple, affordable, and fabulously delicious French recipes. Visit Marie Helen Shop on Etsy at Marie Helen Creations for the Cookbook and other fantastic items. Just search the header for cookbooks. Kalamni is an ancient, proven technique of energy healing. Kalamni uses the universal light to stimulate the healing mechanisms of the body. It's very gentle and yet powerful, and it can easily be learned and successfully practiced by anyone. You too can learn Kalamni and help yourself and your loved ones to feel better. A three-day training workshop will be taught by Marie Helen Turin in Cedar Rapids, Iowa on August 26th, 27th, and 28th. For more information or to reserve your space, visit MarieHelenNow.com. Click Kalamni, then Courses. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Blooming in the Light. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to kalamni at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. And we are back with more on art and trees. Now, like I was saying earlier, when the creative juices are flowing, it really, it brings like you know, like Greg was saying, there is there's that quietness. It brings you deep inside, but also there is that urge because it, it is a very lively field, and um, it is really like creating matter out of 
impulse. Hmm. So it is very deep. I mean, especially for me, when because I take thread, and and then I create cloth. You know, that's definitely matter. And uh, but that that creative process is also something that is extremely enriching. And um, I want to, before we go on, uh, I really want to make, you know, to note the importance of it. I mean, now, finally, um, it has been noticed that when art is taught in nursing homes, it allows the people in the nursing homes to take less medicine. Why? Just because of that nurturing um, process that takes place that really balances the physiology. It is essential. And so, like Greg was saying, you know, when his mother gave him a canvas, he said, I can't draw, I can't paint. Well, for me, I have to tell you, if he gives me a, a, something, I, I've never tried. I, like I said, I'm a weaver. I, I like the... The texture I like, but I like the volumes. I like everything. All these things are very important for me. But maybe I could draw, and if I or I could um, paint, I probably could. And uh, but the important thing is to discover how this comes out. And uh, I really think that when we hear that in education. Um, this art program is being eliminated because there is not enough money. This is a major mistake. In my opinion, a major mistake for several reasons. One is, like we said, it's a universal language. Very many people don't have the gift of words. And it is sometimes very difficult to express an emotion properly with words. How many times have we ourselves said or heard somebody said that's not what I meant but we said it just the same but it didn't express what we meant now with art it's another means of expression that can express what we mean without having to go through picking words and it is extremely important especially in this time when there is so many children who have what we call because I don't automatically agree with that word um, ADD I don't you know the idea of disorder it's not always it's very often putting a label on something that is not like us uh, if you haven't listened to my show on differently able people so very very special then I invite you to do so my son has Down syndrome my oldest son my firstborn and I have discovered a lot about this. And so all the idea of um, abnormality, handicap, disorder uh, has taken a completely different angle from being able to be there firsthand for 40 years and realize that it is a different distribution. And you have to be very aware to perceive it. And I think that in many cases, art is an extremely valuable means and if your child is in a school that does not support art then I believe that the parents should absolutely encourage the child to express their feelings through art. Would you agree with me Greg on that? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's extremely important because it is creativity um, actually can, it should be applied to all fields. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be just to the fine arts or to music or any of that. If you see things in a much larger scope, then you can see that creativity applies to business, creativity applies to auto mechanics, creativity applies to everything, because it's having something that you need to come up with a solution for, and you come up with a solution. And when you have that situation, the joy that comes from having the ability to find the solution, that's really important, and that's one of the things that's missing um, a lot from education. It's really, really, really important that people are reconnected to that creativity so that they can understand and they can experience the joy of creation, because it is. It is a joy of creation. It's the joy of making something. And when you have, we're all different. You know, we all have different size hands. We think differently. We do all this. Everything is completely different. And in being that, creativity in all of those people will be completely different. And I think the skill in, in a teacher is is to honor that difference in creativity in the people and then help to nourish it, encourage them. There's a thing we call in teaching called creative confidence that we use at the school here, which is to praise the child, move them ahead so that they, they don't feel um, shy about expressing themselves. And it's important to back up a little bit because one of the problems in creativity and why, not, why so many people don't create art is actually in the brain. And part of that is, is that when you're a child, uh, a line could be anything. It could be your mother. It could be the sun. It could be a tree. It could be the universe. It could be God. It could be anything. It doesn't matter because you have that unbounded sort of potentiality in terms of your imagination. Now, as you get older and you get around age 9 or 10, when the intellect starts to happen, starts to become more formative, then what happens is, is that then we start to judge things. So when a child looks at a line that, you know, three months later was their mother, and they look at the line and they say, oh, that's just a line, then they stop. They don't create anymore because they realize, oh, I can't express that. I don't have the skills for that. And that's one of the crimes in education is that we don't, nourish that transition so that the children develop that flexibility in their own awareness to be able to work through that whole thing with the intellect so it doesn't just cut them off. So the intellect is important. I'm not saying it's not, but it also needs to be grounded, you know, with all the other capacities they have, intuition, feeling, all these different other things, because those are the ones that manipulate through the arts, because, you know, there's many, many, many different kinds of art, and some in the last 20 or 30 years have become a little bit more intellectual, but really the heart would be something that's much deeper. It comes, the feeling, and that's what comes across is that there's the ability for the artist to breathe, to manifest 
they're feeling through these materials that they're working with, line, shape, color, texture, form, all of these different things. How do they do that? It's, that's magic, you know? It's, well, it is it's the nature of the universe to create constantly. Yeah, yeah. And the artist has to build up the universe just the way that the universe is built up. Because what I mean by that is that, you know, there, there's many, 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 many infinite different layers within the, in the universe, and they're one's built on top of the other and built on top of the other and built on top of the other. So if you look at your hand, you'll see, oh, I see my hand. And then if you were to take a microscope, you would look finer, and then you would take a micro, then you could keep going in, and then you see cells, and then you see, um, you know, photons, all these different kinds of things, the deeper levels that you go. In an artwork, if you can build the artwork in the same way, so that all these levels are lively there, not unlike what Cezanne did, not unlike what a lot of people have done in their work, where they built it up layer by layer, cross-relating all the different layers and organizing the different layers, balancing the different layers so there's a communication between all these different layers so that when the person looks at the artwork and they have to they surrender into the artwork, which is a thing we can talk about in a minute, when they surrender into the artwork, what, is, what happens to them? There's a wonderful communication that happens. And that's where technique comes in. That that's where, you know, it's interesting that um, there is the spontaneity to create, but there is also the technique that will yeah. allow you to express that. And so that's where a good teacher is really important. Yeah, yeah. No, the yes. craft is important. The craft is important, and you know, it it allows you to, as I, as I was just saying, to to build up this this universe, and you know. That's important to, to be able to, for the artist to be able to, as if manifest their feeling into a concrete form. And that's, right, so it, it, it's, that's, like a, it's like grammar to language, I guess. No, it is. It's absolutely, it's like that. Absolutely. Because Very in good. art, you do have a vocabulary, line, shape, texture, form, all of these different things that we work with. You have a grammar. There's certain principles that you use to organize them balance, unity, all these things. And then the final thing you have is this, you know, wonderful unity which, where everything is com combined together in terms of wholeness. So you have those three different elements that are there, which are extremely important. And you're working between all of them. You know, there's this, there's this constant sort of moving between the other one. And it all happens for the artist. A lot of it happens just in terms of their intuition. Right, and like I said, you know, the the value of the heart is uh, it's um, it's a deeper value than the than the intellect, and it really helps us to connect yeah, with it that. Sees so, yes, uh, we need to go on a little break, Greg. We we'll come back, and uh, we will have more for our listeners. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Marie Helen Turin wrote a French country cookbook with her son, Matthew, Petit Paris at Home. This book has interesting food facts, often related to history, and is beautifully illustrated with drawings and color pictures. From their restaurant to your table, these are simple, affordable, and fabulously delicious French recipes. Visit Marie Helen Shop on Etsy at Marie Helen Creations for the Cookbook and other fantastic items. Just search the header for cookbooks. Kalamni is an ancient, proven technique of energy healing. Kalamni uses the universal light to stimulate the healing mechanisms of the body. It's very gentle and yet powerful, and it can easily be learned and successfully practiced by anyone. You too can learn Kalamni and help yourself and your loved ones to feel better. A three-day training workshop will be taught by Marie Helen Turin in Cedar Rapids, Iowa on August 26th, 27th, and 28th. For more information or to reserve your space, visit MarieHelenNow.com. Click Kalamni, then Courses. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iRadioBlog.com. You're listening to Blooming in the Light. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to kalamni at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. And we're back. Now, when we stopped for this little break, uh, Greg was starting to talk about something really fascinating about the technique that allows the viewer to really embrace all the levels um, of the painting. So, Greg, would you please expound on that a little more? Oh, it would be my joy. So, the thing that's important, remember we went back and we talked about how the intellect, when you come of age around nine years old, you start to label everything, right? So this is a tree, mm-hmm. this is a car, this is my mother, this is that. That gets really, really strongly reinforced every day, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. So when a person comes to, to look at an artwork, if there's not some little thing that's recognizable for them, what happens to they just turn it off. They don't look at it because there's no link to them in terms of their sort of level of feeling or that. So it's, it's very, very important. It's, it's very delicate, but it's very important that when I teach art history, what I try to do is I tell people, all right, I take them to the Museum of, you know, Art Institute in Chicago. We look at these pictures, and they just, like, go, what is that? And I say, okay. Let's just look at it. Let your awareness be simple. Don't think you are going to try to figure it out. Don't think this. Don't think that. Just look at it. Simple. Not asking any questions. Just look at it. When they do that, what happens is, is that they, as if, surrender to the artwork. Okay? They let go of the intellect. So that's that kind of like a surrender. And when they do that, then they enter into the work, and in the work, there's these wonderful different rhythms that the artist creates, ways for us to move our attention around in the work, around this corner, around this. It's done with color. It's done with texture. It's done with form. It's done with dark and light. It's done all of those things. And then we were talking about 
the language. So we're using that language of art and the principles, the grammar, to organize all those things so that we're moving the eye around. We're creating a world, basically, is what's happening, the artist is doing. They're creating this world that the viewer can then enter and move into. Now, something happens that's really interesting. Once that happens and the viewer is in the work, all of the experience that they have had in their subconscious or unconscious or whatever starts to come into play. So they look at the work and then they start going off and looking at it in this way and they remember this and they remember that and they remember all these different kinds of things. That's what I call the magic of art because you're bringing something. This is something that's flat, okay? It's flat. It's a painting. It's just a bunch of shapes and a bunch of lines that the artist puts together in a, in a way to create this incredible opportunity for us as viewers to experience ourselves, to experience what the artist was trying to create, and sometimes, sometimes to create a completely unbelievable experience. And I'm sure that many people have had that. Many people talk about when they go to a, to a museum and they'll look at, look at the work, they start to cry. Or they just, you know, the space that they're experiencing, just they expand. You know, there's this unbelievable expansion of, of who they think they are. Yes, That's it reminds me of one day when my daughter went to uh, the Rodin Museum in Paris. And she said the gardens are the, very important. I haven't been there, but she said the, don't if you go, don't miss the gardens. So, all our listeners, if you go to the Rodin Museum, um, don't miss the gardens. And Rodin did all these wonderful sculptures. And she said when I left, I could not speak for fifteen minutes. Yeah, it brought right. that silence, and uh, and we had. Um, not too long ago, actually, um, I was visiting uh, in Seattle, and we went to see the Chihuly exhibit there. Mm. And when we reached the end of the exhibit, it was like, no way, I'm not leaving. So we walked back and did it again, because it was transmitting something. It was making us feel so good. And when we left, I remember we were driving home, and and we were feeling so blissed out because the beauty through the techniques and all these shapes and lines and colors and everything, it just brought that beautiful feeling. And, and not only art is, should be very valued as a language for the artist, like we were talking about the children, but also, like you're saying, to be valued for the viewer. So I remember one time, when our children went to school, uh, I asked you, what can we do? Because our daughter was doing an art um, uh, degree in college. And you said, just allow her to go more and more into museums. And I think that this was the best um, piece of advice that you could have given us. Now, Greg, we're getting to the end of this show. I would like us to tell, uh, to tell our listeners where they can see your work, what is your website, and um, and then we'll have to wrap it up. Okay. So if you want to look at my website, it's gregthatchergallery.com. And there's some wonderful little films that we've done about Painswick and also a Kickstarter program that I had. 
So those would be really good. It's very simple. It's G-R-E-G-T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R Gallery.com. So again, G-R-E-G-T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R Gallery.com. And that's the website. Um, what was the other thing you wanted? <laughs> no, that was it. That was it. The Greg, I wanted to thank you so much. The time went too fast. I really enjoyed myself, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Uh, again, you're listening to Blooming in the Light. It was a great pleasure to have you all, and thank you so much to everybody who has been with us today. Uh, again, you can like my Colony Facebook page or connect with me, me on LinkedIn. Or if you have any comments or questions, uh, email me at colemni at gmail.com. I am your host, Marie-Helen Turan, and you're listening to Blooming in the Light. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful week, and we will see you again next week. I mean, not see you, but we'll be with you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us today for Blooming in the Light. Please join Marie Helen Turin again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of the program on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have a blessed week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.